I'm Janice Dean. I'm David Asman. I'm Dana Perino, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Friday, April 10th, 2020. I'm Chris Foster. Remember the presidential campaign? Sound of Trump versus Biden, and Fox News Sunday host Chris Wallace says now, I think this will be a referendum on how Donald Trump handled the coronavirus. I'm not sure that that uh, that Biden's issues and, you know, his record and stuff is going to be all that important. I'm Lisa Brady. For Christians and Jews, this is supposed to be a time of celebration, and many will find new ways to share that joy, keeping hope and faith alive. Maybe faith doesn't take away all the pain, but if it can keep us hoping for a better future, hoping for an ultimate solution, that is a great gift. And I'm Robert Jeffress. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. Not that the presidential campaign is the first thing on most people's minds these days, but we do end the week with one Democratic Party presidential candidate left standing. I am announcing the suspension of my campaign. Bernie Sanders tells supporters he can't win. While we are winning the ideological battle, and while we are winning the support of so many young people and working people throughout the country, I have concluded that this battle for the Democratic nomination will not be successful. Big news like this in a presidential race is a reminder of the olden days, like three or four weeks ago, when we were actually talking about the campaign and who was winning primaries. Absolutely. Uh, it, you know, it's interesting because when he dropped out of the race this week, uh, you kind of had it was kind of a shock, not that he dropped out, but you kind of had to remind yourself, oh, yeah, there's a presidential race going on and there's a Democratic primary going on and uh, people still care about it. Chris Wallace is the host of Fox News Sunday. Uh, Bernie Sanders had to drop out. I'm sure he came under tremendous pressure from party leaders. Uh, they need to do everything they can to prepare for the fall, to raise money, to build organization for Joe Biden to take on uh, uh, Donald Trump. And there was no chance that Bernie Sanders at this point was going to win the nomination. Uh, I think he had a traumatic effect on the uh, on the Democratic race. Uh, I think he moved the party considerably to the left on uh, health issues. I mean, think of some of the things that even Joe Biden, who's running as the the relative centrist or moderate, although he's certainly pretty liberal, uh, is endorsing now that were just unacceptable. He's a, a public option, not Medicare for all, but a public option. That wasn't something that Barack Obama supported in 2012. Health care for illegal immigrants, that wasn't something that Barack Obama supported in 2012. Uh, Decriminalizing people coming across the border, same for Obama. So there certainly is some difference and distance between where Sanders is and Biden is, but Biden is a lot closer to Bernie Sanders uh, than than he is to where Barack Obama was uh, just four years ago. Yeah, and he's going to have to walk a line, too, where he wants to keep he wants to draw in progressives, but not turn off the people who were turned off by Bernie uh, going forward. Now, I couldn't yeah, agree more. I think that's a very delicate dance he's going to have to do. He does have to move to the left. And, you know, he say he uses this line. I hear you to Bernie's supporters. He's going to have to do more than hear them. He's going to have to support some of the things that they want. But, he can't, you know, there's, I, there's a reason that Bernie Sanders might have had a really tough time against uh, Donald Trump because Trump was ready to label him a socialist. He'll probably try to do the same with Biden. But Biden has got to make it clear he's not as far to the left 
as Bernie Sanders, if he's going to pick up the moderates, the independents, the suburban Republican women that he desperately needs if he's going to beat Donald Trump in November. The campaign is sort of in this suspended animation with everybody just talking about coronavirus. Do you think that Biden is blowing an opportunity here by not stepping up and saying, hey, here's what we need to do? Or is he better off just kind of covering his face with his gloves and writing this out? I have to say, I don't think if he if he were, you know, I know he's doing podcasts and, and virtual town halls and press conferences from the basement of his home in Delaware. I honestly don't think uh, it, it matters much because I don't think people are paying much attention. I mean, he just he's not the president. What he's saying isn't really going to matter that much. I actually, it's going to sound odd, I think to some degree, he may benefit from the fact that he's off the screen to the degree that, and, and this won't last, but because obviously as we get, no matter what the condition the country is in after Labor Day, this will be a Biden versus Trump race, and you'll be sure that Trump will paint, uh, you know, portray all of what he believes are Joe Biden shortcomings in his record and some of the statements he's made. But I think to the degree that Biden can kind of ride this out for right now, because people aren't paying attention, and be more the generic Democrat. I think the generic Democrat runs better against Donald Trump than Joe Biden does. And, and I think to some degree, this election is going to be a coronavirus referendum on Donald Trump. If in the end, you know, it, when, when it get, we get to next November, and I, we don't know the answer to this, uh, if people think that Trump has handled the, the health issue and the economic issue well, I think he may be unbeatable. And uh, if people come to the conclusion, a majority of Americans, that he has handled the health issue and the economic issue poorly, I don't think he has any chance to win. So to a certain degree, I think this will be a referendum on how Donald Trump handled the coronavirus. I'm not sure that that uh, that Biden's issues and, you know, his record and stuff is going to be all that important. Yeah, if, we've had, if we have a couple of months, uh, a couple of quarters, excuse me, of recession, if we're in a recession by the time the election rolls around, even though the president can obviously rightfully claim that it's because of the virus, I don't know, it, it, can somebody be reelected in the middle of a recession if we've got 10% unemployment and empty storefronts in town after town? Well, you know, it, it, it's a pretty extraordinary experience. Uh, I mean, you, you know, the, the initial answer, the obvious answer would be no. You know, the economy is what people vote on, and the president is going to get credit or blame, probably more. But this is such a one-off. I mean, it hasn't happened in this country, uh, you know, in terms of a pandemic since 1917-18, as the president reminds us with the Spanish flu. Uh, Does he get the full brunt of the blame for something which clearly he had nothing to do with? You know, in the end, I think that people will, will make a judgment. They'll say... Did he handle the health crisis uh, properly? Did he handle the economic crisis properly or not? I, I, there'll be a tougher argument to make if people are still suffering. I mean, what, in the last three weeks, we've had 17 million new Americans claim unemployment, go on unemployment. That's, that, you know, peop- that, that's horrible, but, it, but politically acceptable in April. Is it acceptable in, in, in uh, September and October? Probably not. Yeah, I mean, we're just having this theoretical conversation. Maybe the maybe things bounce back faster, or maybe things bounce back slower. And I guess the conversation could be uh, 
had then. Now, uh, I'm sure you're looking forward to if President Trump is elected. I'm sure we'll get uh, hearings on his uh, on his coronavirus response. Oh, absolutely. I don't know that I'm looking forward to it. Uh, But, you know, Nancy Pelosi has set up this coronavirus committee uh, and and it's a legitimate issue. No, it's like after 9-11, you want to find out what could have been handled better, what could have been handled worse. I think you'll have that whether Donald Trump is reelected or not, because Lord knows we don't want to go through this again. And there are always lessons you can learn. Uh, whether it's uh, to have, you know, we last week on Fox News Sunday, I had an interview with Bill Gates and we played this extraordinary and I would recommend this to all your listeners. I don't want you to go away from Fox Radio too too much, but just Google Bill Gates 2015 TED Talk. And it's an eight and a half minute tape. It's been last week. It had been viewed by 26 million people overall, probably more than that now. And he it just astonishingly lays out the threat from a pandemic. He didn't know it was going to be the coronavirus coming from China. But he said the next thing that's going to kill millions of people in the, in the world will not be a war. It's going to be a pandemic. And he laid out so many of the things that we needed to do to prepare that we didn't do. And this isn't a partisan thing. This was in 2015 when Barack Obama was president. So, you know, there's enough blame to go around. Uh, you know, you hope we're going to learn some lessons from this. We're going to have paid a terrible price in both uh, blood and treasure. But you would hope that that we'll learn some lessons and we'll be better prepared when and it seems inevitable, whether it's 10 years from now or 100 years from now, something like this happens again. One more, Chris, these daily coronavirus task force briefings. um are you seeing diminishing returns from them just as a news guy, uh, somebody who wants to learn about what's happening with the virus, and, uh, and somebody who's watching the politics of it, where President Trump is, in a way, besides using these for information, he's sort of replacing his, um, his campaign rallies with these? Uh, I, th- I see diminishing returns on both fronts. I think that, uh, you know, not, not that... Uh, I, I, I say this with political reporters are all frustrated campaign managers or White House advisors or whatever. But, you know, so I don't expect anybody to take any advice. It's worth how much I'm, the, I'm getting paid for, it, which is nothing. But I think that they go on too long. Uh, I think they be, should be much shorter. And I think that when, they, when the president initially began them, and they seem to be much more about facts and what's going on to fight the virus. Uh, you, you saw a spike in the president's approval. Now you're seeing it actually go down. And, you know, the president is getting into fights with governors and with reporters. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think he would be well advised to just give the facts, maybe take a few coronavirus questions uh, and get off the stage and leave it to the, the less political people. Uh, like, you know, the health officials, the economic officials, the, the uh, you know, people from the CDC and, and from public health and uh, the supply chain FEMA. Um, I think that they would that would serve the president better politically and it would serve the country better in terms of getting the information they really want. I think I think that uh, they, they have kind of turned into rallies and I don't think that's helping them right now. Chris Wallace, host of Fox News Sunday. Thanks once again for coming on uh, the Fox News Rundown today. You, you bet. Thanks a lot. This is Robert Jeffress with your Fox News commentary. Coming up. 
There are a few things this pandemic can't cancel or postpone, but it changes everything. And what's happening this week would have been unthinkable just a few months ago for the legions of faithful around the world. Holy Week and Easter without church, Passover without temple, houses of worship among the many places that have had to close their doors as we all do battle against COVID-19. But services are still being held. Virtually. Let us pray. And not just the big ones like St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York City. Local places of worship are streaming too. Priests and rabbis using modern technology to keep tradition and faith alive. Their congregations worshiping from home, where we're doing just about everything these days. Though keeping the faith can be a different kind of struggle. There's belief, but there's also doubt together with that belief. And I think that's a very normal human experience. Jonathan Morris is a theologian and Fox News contributor. And when there's deep suffering in our lives, that doubt comes into contact with faith in a way that is sometimes uh, very hard and even, I would say, uh, existentially difficult for us. I believe in an all-powerful, all-loving God, and yet he has allowed this to happen. And how does that, how, how do those two beliefs, or two realities coincide? Right. This is a real, a crisis like this is a real test of faith. Yeah, it is. And you see, on the one hand, for most people, faith gets them through very difficult times uh, and help, to help them not lose hope. Right, and, and in the end, not losing hope is a huge thing. Maybe faith doesn't take away all the pain, but if it can keep us hoping for a better future, hoping for an ultimate solution, that is a great gift. And I think faith in the midst of suffering offers us uh, that most important gift. For those who like to actively practice their faith, it's a really difficult thing, too, to not have the option to go to church. And I know where I live in Connecticut in our local parish, um, at least some of the churches are still staying open if you want to be able to walk in and light a candle, for instance. But the services are only being done online. You, know, you can watch a service online. Yeah, it, I look at it as kind of a fast, right? There's, there's people who do fasting for purely physiological purposes. I'm going to, you know, fasting is now kind of in vogue uh, from a physical perspective, but fasting is a long-held tradition in not only the Catholic Church that you reference, but so many traditions. The idea of giving up something or doing without something for a time in order to prepare the spirit for something else. Uh, sometimes we get so used to things, even good things like liturgical services, like going to Mass, like going to your local church, like hearing homilies, that we get used to them and they don't penetrate us as deeply. So I would say, yes, it is a hard time for us to be able to, for us to have to not uh, attend uh, what we're used to attending. But it can also be a great moment of, of sensitizing the soul once again. Uh, absence makes the heart grow fonder in a way. I think so. <laughs> Perhaps. Um, it's also, it also strikes me that it sort of calls to mind a lot of um, religious beliefs from the standpoint of helping your fellow man and woman, you know, caring mm. for each other as humans. Though in this case, staying away from each other is kind of the best way to do it for now. You know, today I 
I ran a, a, into a, a gentleman uh, who was blind as he was walking down the street right in front of my apartment. And I think it was because of what we're going through that I even noticed him, as bad as that sounds. Right? We're so used to encountering so many things, people, activities, and especially in a in a big city like New York City where where I am, you you have to stay in your lane just to survive, or at least we convince ourselves of that. So I saw this gentleman, I went over, I asked him if he needed help. I just felt like he must be going through things right now um, that are even more scary than the rest of us. And he accepted help, walked a few blocks, and I thought to myself, how terrible that I don't usually see this gentleman mm-hmm. or other gentlemen, or other women in their situation. So, yes, this is a very strange time, um, and it can be a very a time full of anxiety, but it's also a time that sensitizes us to the needs of others. And I think that's a beautiful thing. Well, certainly kind of eye-opening and refreshing on, on some levels. People know you as a former priest. Mm-hmm. Are you getting inundated with questions about this pandemic? During this time, I decided I'm going to do a daily uh, Facebook Live video. Um, and, and I'm starting to do one each day. You can just go to Jonathan Morris. Just look up the verified page under Jonathan Morris on Facebook. But um, people do ask questions in hard times, and we all need answers. And the and the temptation, I think, is to think that because we're not a priest, or because we are not a pastor, or because we are not a you know have degrees in theology or whatever, that we can't help somebody. We all can help somebody. And I think we have to make that decision. I'm going to get over my insecurity and go and do it. Maybe it means just my neighbor or my sibling Mm -hmm. or my friends, but I'm going to do my part. More human interaction, even though we can't interact more in person right now, you can still have more interaction. You can still reach out to people. My mom told me... uh, She's always telling me what to say on in the media, <laughs> all of her ideas. But she told me what she's doing is making a list of every day of who she can reach out to, who might need someone in their life. As simple as a phone call, a letter, a note, a text message, FaceTime. We get so used to having people available to us and being available to other people and time flies by, and sometimes we don't even have that availability when we can. Now that we can't have that same availability, I think it's a great reminder to find new ways to reach out and to be for somebody a little bit of compassion and joy. Is there any other single piece of advice that you want to pass on to people at this time? A lot of us are self-isolating, right? We are um, either self-quarantining if there's some some reason to believe that we've been in contact with somebody who has been infected or for the rest of us, just kind of self-isolating. That is a very lonely situation for many, many people. And I think we have to find ways to make sure that the loneliness doesn't win. Um, Things as simple as making sure you make your bed in the morning shower, get out of your pajamas at least once a day, Uh, do things, make a to-do list 
decide that we're going to be productive and we can be productive in 2020 in ways from our homes in ways that we could never have been productive even 20 years ago. And so we can decide we're not going to let the loneliness win, but we're going to uh, be uh, the hands and feet, I would say, of Jesus. I would say as a Christian to be the hands and feet of Jesus for people who are in more difficult situations than we are. And especially for the faithful, I guess, to remind ourselves constantly, we're never alone. We aren't alone. That's a great way to put it. We're not alone. And we can hear the voice of God um, whispering to us in our conscience and in our heart. Theologian and Fox News contributor, Jonathan Morris, a pleasure to meet you, sir. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Lisa. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Subscribe to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And now, some good news with Tanya J. Powers. Cassie Woods and her husband Simon thought when they lost their camera full of pictures from their dream vacation, that was it. They'd never see them again. It happened on a trip to the Dominican Republic in April 2018 when their kayak rolled over and their Hero 4 GoPro camera disappeared in the water. The camera spent 18 months underwater before it was spotted by Ryan Friday Swan, a fellow British tourist who was snorkeling in September last year near Punta Cana on his honeymoon, not far from where Cassie and her husband had stayed. The GoPro was full of mud, but after some cleaning, the memory card came through with Cassie's photos intact. Ryan vowed to hunt down the camera's owners, which is where a Facebook group comes in. The Facebook page, called Lost Box, is a group that tries to reunite found items with their owners. Ryan posted some of the pictures on the site with a plea to ask if anyone could help get the camera back to its original owners. Within a day, Facebook users had tracked down Cassie. She now has her camera and her priceless photos back and says the effort Ryan made to get it to her was touching and that, quote, there are really kind people out there. Tanya J. Powers, Fox News. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Robert Jeffress. What's on your mind? How can a good, all-powerful God allow so much suffering in our world? This question has plagued philosophers and theologians for millennia. But it's not just an academic or theoretical problem. The problem of suffering confronts us all. Job, the righteous man, talked around and around this question with his friends in the midst of his darkest days. He lost his children, his house, and his health, all in a moment. He cried out, For the thing that I fear comes upon me, and what I dread befalls me. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest, but trouble comes." Every day in our fractured world, someone is having their own Job moment, when everything they have is suddenly taken away. But it's rare for all of us to share in a Job moment together. That's what the coronavirus pandemic has felt like. At its worst, COVID-19 has taken loved ones or has them barely clinging to life in overcrowded ICUs. For others, the symptoms of the virus have knocked them down with fatigue and pain for weeks on end. 
Even those who have not experienced the virus have experienced the fear of contracting it and the isolation of avoiding it. Some have lost their livelihoods or watched their life savings diminish. We are all in our Job moment. In the Easter story, Christ experienced his own Job moment. He was betrayed by his closest friends, mocked and beaten, and sentenced to a slow and excruciating death. But Christ embraced his Job moment and took on suffering willingly in obedience to the Father and for the sake of our salvation. This is why Job could confidently say centuries before Christ's coming, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. We too can turn to Christ from the depths of our Job moment, placing our faith in the one who has conquered death and secured eternal life. I'm Robert Jeffress. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to Everyone Talks to Liz. Fox Business's Liz Clayman talks with entrepreneurs and executives about inspiring and motivational stories. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.